Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. So like I mentioned last week, we're in a, a series to end the year, and, and we're going to we're starting something new, a new tradition, and that's ending the year in a position of strength. So often, when it comes to the end of the year, we, we take time and we reflect on everything we wish we would have done different or thought we could have changed, or we reflect on the things that have caused the most pain and hurt, and, and it's good to reflect on those things. But we're starting a new tradition where every year we're going to end the year with a series that acknowledges what God has done in the past, but firmly roots us in a spirit of faith for the future. That as we walk into the year that's coming, that we believe God has more for us in store than we could ever hope or imagine. And part of this series is going to be our breakthrough offering that we take on December 10th. And I want to encourage you to begin to pray about God would have you bring to him as an offering on that day. An offering to say, God, I don't know what you have in store, but I'm going to bring you the best of what I have as a first fruit for what I believe you want to do in my life. And so on that day, we're going to be bringing an offering. And, and Rochelle and I have been already talking and praying about what that is going to look like and asking God to, to lead and direct us. And I believe that, that God is giving us a heart and a vision to trust him for immeasurably more than we could hope or imagine. We could create um, a systematic visionary outline of what we think is gonna happen next year. But the bottom line is that I believe that Jesus wants to do more in your life than he has in the past. And I actually believe that he wants to do more in our church and in our community than we've ever seen him do. And what he wants to do more of is inject himself into everything that you and I do. He wants to breathe life into us again. And we're on a trajectory, on a path to fully investigate our full potential with allowing God to work in us and seeing what he can do through us. And today, um, we're talking about breakthrough again. And we're talking about it in the context of our heart. And we're gonna be talking today about giving. We're gonna be talking about what it means to have an undivided heart when it comes to our relationship with God and how that impacts us and our resources. So we read about this amazing breakthrough that happens in Israel's story and through David. We just read about it. Well, the question is, how do you get there? 
How do we get to that place of breakthrough in our life where we feel like God has come through in a way that we could never have imagined? That word breakthrough, as David describes it, means literally uh, uh, like a river overflowing its banks, like a dam bursting and God breaking through. In a military sense, David was completely outmatched. The Israeli army was a fraction of the size of the opposing forces. And yet David is saying, God, it's not my strength, it's not my strategy, it's not my gifts, it's not my skill set that produced this victory. It's you going before me and breaking the ground ahead of me. But in order to get to breakthrough, we have to start somewhere. And I want to just back up to the beginning of 2 Samuel 5. Thank you. Then all of the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord and all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. Israel up until this point had been a nation divided. They had been a nation divided into the north and the south, and they had uh, a successive series of different kings ruling each divided piece of the nation. And for the first time in their history, God was about to bring them together. God was about to take what was once divided and fractured and dysfunctional and bring it together under David's leadership. As we talk about breakthrough, I just felt like this week God was just saying, here's where you need to start. You need to first address your divided heart. You and I. If we want to see breakthrough in our family and in our finances and in our church and our community, the first place we need to start and the first point that I want to leave, leave with you is that we need to address our divided heart. Because wherever you are in your spiritual journey, however long you've been a Christian, it doesn't even matter. We all have pieces of our heart that get splintered off from time to time that we withhold from God. And for the first time in Israel's history, God is about to bring unity where there was division. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so often as we walk through our spiritual journey, through each phase of it, we, we say things like, God, 
God, you're number one in my life. God, God, I trust you. I believe in you. I want to follow you. I want to do what's right. But with our other hand, we're holding on to things in our life that we're not fully ready to trust God with. And so we walk around with a divided heart, trying to trust God in one sense, but when the rubber hits the road, struggling to actually trust him with our whole life. And Israel had been in this very environment where they were trying their best to follow God. They were trying to do what was right. But it had always been struggling and struggling in these cycles of defeat for years and years and years, just spinning in circles until we get to this moment in their history when it's unity out of division that gives them the strength that they need to overcome their enemy. So Israel is unified as a nation. Then this is what happens. David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out. For the Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. Jerusalem had been a strategic stronghold that Israel as a divided nation could never fully conquer. The irony is that Jerusalem sits right in the middle of the landmass that we call Israel. This city that was at the heart and was really the epicenter of their region was the very place they struggled to have victory as a divided nation. And when we talk about God capturing a divided heart in us and making it whole and bringing it back to life. This is the picture that we have. That once Israel becomes united together, they have the strength and the power to overcome the enemy in areas that they had previously not been able to. And so they capture the city of Jerusalem which becomes the, the breathing, living heart of the nation. And to this day, it's still revered as a, as a holy place. It's interesting that I, I haven't had the, the fortunate chance to visit Israel yet. I've been close, I've been on the border, but I haven't been to Jerusalem. But everyone that I've talked to that's been there says there's a unique irony there. In, in a, a geographic area that is just thrashed with violence and ripped apart with violence, that city has this unusual peace to it. And the people that have been there that I've talked to said it's strange that all around there's struggle and turmoil and friction and chaos, but somehow there's peace there. Now, I really believe that when we talk about breakthrough in our lives, 
the first step and the first place we need to look is our own heart. And we need to begin to ask God questions like, God, where has my heart been divided? Where have I struggled to give you ownership and leadership? What have I withheld from you out of fear, out of regret? It doesn't even matter. God, what have I withheld from you? Because if we want to see breakthrough happen in a real way, it's going to begin in our heart. And so David and his men, in the face of what would be militarily impossible, they find an aqueduct that's a a little, basically a tunnel system that was used in that day. And they actually enter the city through that aqueduct and capture the city. And for the first time in Israel's history, they have one king who's ruling them as a unified nation from the center of their country. And it's from this position that God begins to give David success and breakthrough in so many areas of his life. Listen to what happens next in David's life. He says this in in verse nine. So David made the fortress his home and he called it the city of David. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terraces and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of God of heaven's armies was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons and they built David a palace. And David realized, just key into this, David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people. So here's this newly appointed king in his new city. And you would think that that newness would spark David to begin industrial campaigns to to build and to construct and to he would be you know uh, putting the blueprints together for everything that he wanted to do and what we're told is that actually it's other people kings from other nations who begin to build for David the things that, that he needed and that God wanted to bless him with. And so often in our struggle with a divided heart, we think that we need to go out and chase after God's blessing, that we need to lay hold of it somehow, that somehow if we earn more and do more and serve more and pray more and do whatever more, that somehow we need to in our own strength and with our own wisdom lay hold of God's blessing. And what he's saying is no, it's actually the opposite. That as we trust God and yield our heart to him further, as we begin to let go of the things in our life that we're holding on to and struggling to give over to him, as we let go of that, that God actually brings the blessing in from outside. But as long as you and I carry a divided heart, ruled by fear and doubt and the unknown, 
will limit God's ability to bring blessing in. I'm sure that David could have mustered the supplies and resources he needed to do these projects. But I really believe that it was God's pleasure to bring provision to David from a source that he didn't even consider. And so the question for you and I today is where is our heart? What are we holding on to? What are we grasping onto? Hoping that somehow we can take this little bit of this and turn it into that. What are those pieces of our life that we're, we're struggling with and reluctant to actually turn over to God and trust him with? I want to turn to the book of Exodus. It's a bit further back. Because I think there's a really important principle here that we need to just unpack a little bit. Because as we yield our heart to God, as we humble ourselves and say, God, I, you gotta teach me to trust you with this stuff. As we, as we seek to have a united heart with God, there's a principle I think that, that we need to recognize first. And it's called the principle of first fruits. And in Exodus chapter 13, we have God giving instructions to Moses. This is after the Israelites have come out of slavery and God has moved them out of slavery. God has some instructions for them. After everything that he'd done for them, supernaturally parting the Red Sea, bringing them out of their torment, bringing them out of everything that they were going through, this is what he says. The Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both human and animals belong to me. I, I just, I want to, to just let you know, and if we could read the original Hebrew there, and maybe in your translations, it actually says, it is mine. The original language of that word mine is so strong and so emphatic. It's not just, okay, hey, can you bring these to me? Uh, these are mine. No, it's mine. What you have is not your own. What I've done in you is not through your own power and your own effort and your own work. What I've given you doesn't come from your hand. And God says emphatically, it's mine. Have you ever wondered why? If you look at this all through scripture, when God talks about bringing an offering, he uses the word bring, not give or take. And he uses the word bring because you can't give something that's not yours to give. And God is saying, look, what you need to remember is everything that I've done in your life has come from my initiative from my hand. And so what I'm asking you to do is bring me back the first and best of what you have. Because that will be a demonstration of your trust in me. 
And we go back to Matthew 6, and we hear Jesus say, we hear him say that our heart needs to be undivided. Through that whole chapter, he's talking about this struggle with what we have and with what we do with what we have. And Jesus says, you can't serve me and money at the same time. You can't serve me and the resources that I've given you at the same time. You cannot hold them in equal place. And this touches on, on one of the characteristics of God, which is called his preeminence. It's just a, a theological word that means God is first. And actually not only first, he's before first. He's preeminent before everything. And there's a, a theology of God's preeminent, preeminence that actually says that God cannot be second. That it's actually impossible for him to be second in your life and in my life. And with anything, that God is always the first and always the initiator and always above and further ahead. And so often what we do is we say, God, I love you, but. And we lay out all of these stipulations and ground rules and, and conditions for our faith. God, I would give to you if I just got that raise at work, or God, I would do this or that, and, and I, want, I want you to know actually what happens further on here. In verse 12, it says, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not, Buy it back, you must break its neck. I've always read that and I went, wow, that's so, whoa. It's a little bit twisted, don't you think? A little scary for that guy, that donkey. Um, sorry, bud. <laughs> but one of the things I've been learning as I've been studying this is that the principle behind this was if you're not going to give it, you're going to lose it anyway. If you're not going to give God your first and your best, it's going to be taken away from you anyway. And what God is saying to them is, look, there's no second option here. There's no kind of way out and around that you either give me your first and your best, and I'm going to bless everything that comes after that, or you withhold your first and your best, and I'm going to curse everything that comes after that. That's what the Bible literally says. It says in Hebrews that when one piece of the dough is blessed, the whole thing is blessed. And yet, on our priority list, when we're figuring out what to do with the resources we have, we we get our, our check and then we pay the mortgage broker and we pay our bills and our car payments and our heating. And then at the end we go, okay, God, there's not quite enough left for you here. I this is what I have. This is all I have. And what God is saying here is, look, if you don't flip the order, if you don't actually begin to give me first what's mine, 
you're going to lose it anyway. And you're going to struggle in these cycles of frustration and defeat. And so you can either choose to give it or you can choose to lose it. Man, it's, I've just been wrestling with this this week. Because that doesn't only mean our money. It encompasses everything in our life. David's first assignment was to go back and bring unity to the heart of Israel. There was no breakthrough about to happen until he dealt with the heart first until he went back and dealt with that. I just want to point out for you that what God is saying is that either you need to offer me something, so a lamb that's an acceptable offering, or you need to offer something in its place that's acceptable to me. Something, the Bible uses language, clean and unclean. That God will accept a clean offering, but will not accept an unclean one. And I just want to fast forward a few thousand years from God talking through this with Moses and bring Jesus into the picture. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was God's tithe to us. Jesus was the perfect, clean, acceptable offering that gave his life first. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is God's tithe to us. And some of you go, oh, tithing, it's just, a, it's just Old Testament law. We don't live under the law. Yeah, you're, you're right, we don't. Tithing actually began in the first chapters of Genesis and goes all the way through to Revelation. It's just not about living under the law. It's about adopting a heart that's not divided and is generous and is trusting God with what we have. If the law said that they were only to give 10%, Jesus gave his life. So then how much more should we give ourselves back to him? 10% is just the bottom of the barrel. And yet for so many of us, we struggle with this notion of giving God back anything. And then we walk around and we ask him to bless us in our life with the audacity, the audacity to challenge God and say, look, I'm not willing to do my part but I want you to come through on your part. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Because you're able, you should, and therefore, because you should, you will. But when it comes to our ability to give back to God, to practice this principle of first fruits, we say to God, I, I might be able, but I won't. And I really believe that if we can grab a hold of this principle of first fruits in our life with our finances, with our relationships, with all of that, that that will actually pave the way for breakthrough in areas we don't even know we need it. 
in this church, it'll pave a way for breakthrough, for us to do things in our community and reach places we thought were way too far away to reach. It'll release the things in us and through us that God has already put inside of us. But we have to get this idea that God can't be second in your life or in my life. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. But notice that conjunction, then. Doesn't say, God, just, uh, you know, fill the silo so it's overflowing. And then once you've done that, I'm going to give you some of it. No. It says, bring to God your first and your best. The best part of your heart. The best part of your relationships. The best part of your family. The best part of, of yourself in your job. The best part of you here at church. Bring that first. And then God says, watch what I will do with that. Watch what I'll do. I want to land here. I just was reflecting this week on this principle. And I was reminded of a transition in a season of first that happened in Jesus's life. And we find that in Luke 4, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. This is what I want to leave you with. So Jesus is now about 30 years old. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. And this is what happens. So he, he, he goes from this baptism experience where God supernaturally comes down and says, you're my son with you, I'm well pleased. And then boom, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That word led literally means to push along, literally means that, that there, was something, there was something bringing Jesus there that was, that was literally behind him and pushing him emphatically into the wilderness. Where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. I just want to stop there. So let's just realize as we talk about this principle of firsts, that Jesus hasn't actually started his ministry yet. And the first thing that he needs to do before he engages in his life's mission is to present himself back to God, to deny himself, walk into the wilderness and allow God to do in his heart and in his life what only he could do. Jesus doesn't go from, from John baptizing him and launch into this powerful and effective ministry. No, the first thing he does is he goes into the wilderness alone with God and says, here I am, you have all of me. And you can test me. Before I get into doing things for you, I want you to know that my heart 
is undivided. And so Satan tempts him to turn a stone into bread. And I, I really believe that, that part of what was happening there is he was testing Jesus. He was testing Jesus to see if there was anything in him that would produce self-sufficiency. In John 15, it's Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what the devil was testing him in was to say, look, you can do this, Jesus. I believe it. The devil knew it. Jesus knew it. I'm going to test you to be self-sufficient. I'm going to test you to trust in your ability. I'm going to test you to provide for yourself. And Jesus says, no. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. No, I'm not going to trust in all of these other things. I'm not going to trust in what I can do. I'm going to trust in the one who my heart is set after. And so often when we have these things around us, these things that have, God has graciously provided for us, we begin to put our trust in the things and not the provider of the things. And then the devil comes to him and, and, and in an instant he shows him the kingdoms of this world and he says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you these. You gotta understand, Jesus knew what was coming for him. He knew that one day when we read in Revelation 4 and 5, he was going to be crowned the King of kings and Lord of lords. He knew that was all his. And so the devil's tempting him. The devil's tempting him to insert himself in and say, I'm just going to grab what's mine now while I can because I'm not sure how the future's going to pan out. And the enemy comes to tempt us all the time with the stuff that we have and with our families and our jobs and says, you better hold on to this because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You better put this away for a rainy day. Oh, you can't give this to this person. And he attacks our generosity and he attacks our trust and he attacks our faith. Jesus knew he knew what was going to happen in the future. And still, knowing what he knew, he decided, God, I'm going to trust you in the process. I'm going to allow you to walk with me through this every step of the way. I'm not going to reach out and grab what I already know is mine. It wasn't like the devil was tempting him to take something that wasn't his. He knew it was his. But still, even in that, he says, no. I need to actually trust God with this part of the process. So I don't know about you, but I've been praying for breakthrough in my own life in this series and just asking God, do what, like we sang, do what only you can do. I need breakthrough in different areas of my life. And this week, God just said, let's just stop the bus for a minute because there's so many areas of breakthrough that you and I could benefit from in our life. 
But the first and most important one is your heart. And it's whether you're actually willing to say, God, I'm, I'm not just going to talk about you being first, but I'm going to reorder everything. I'm going to reprioritize everything in my life to align around this principle, God, that if I put you first, that blessing can follow. And before we talk about breakthrough and all of these different and specific and unique areas, we need to understand that if we haven't realigned our priorities, if we haven't actually made God first, we're not going to see the sustained breakthrough that he actually has and wants for us. And for some of you, that may be on December 10th, that may be for the first time bringing an offering to God and saying, I don't even know quite what I'm going to do here, but God, here, I want to start somewhere. I want to start somewhere. And Jesus, actually, we, we always say this in church, uh, we, we're not interested in your money, and we're not, but God is. He is interested in your money. You know Why? Because there's a string connected between your wallet and your heart. And he knows that actually, in order to have your heart fully, he's got to have all of that stuff in your back pocket too. And so it's not about bringing money to the church so that we can do this and that. It's actually just saying, God, I trust you with this. I don't want a divided heart. And yes, you do care about my money because that's so often where I put my treasure, where I put my value where I put my security and my hope and my peace. And on the flip side, when we don't have it, it's where our doubt and our fear come from. It's where our anger comes from and our frustration and our fighting in relationships. And Jesus is saying, will you stop talking about putting me first? and actually start doing it. Because you and I will not see breakthrough in our lives the way that God wants to do until we begin. Just like David, until the the nation was aligned, until Jerusalem was captured, it wasn't until all of that had happened that God began to give them breakthrough as a nation. And you can continue to read on, it's a fantastic story of David going to God before every battle and saying, what do you want me to do? And each time God changing the strategy. David wasn't trusting in his own skill and strength. Every time he came right back and said, God, I'm here. I want you to lead this in my life. And in the same way, we need to have that moment where we come back and say, God, I'm here and I want you to lead my finances, I want you to lead my family, I want you to lead this church, I want you to lead the way in my faith outside in the community. Let's pray together. Father, I just... 
God, I'm sorry for the times in my own life when I haven't gotten my priorities right and where I've claimed to be following you in one direction but not trusting you enough to put you first ahead of everything, every decision I make, every bill I pay, every part of my family or my work, whatever it is. And I, I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and bring insight to each one of us right now. I just pray in the gentle way that you do that you would bring conviction to our hearts. God, not conviction from anything that I've said, but Jesus, I just ask that, that the weight of your word and your truth would just penetrate into the hardest and deepest parts of our heart. Jesus, I ask that that we would begin with our heart. That you would teach us and show us, God, how to bring unity where there's been division in our heart. How to realign our whole life under your leadership, under your authority. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus for everyone under the sound of my voice, that as we draw to a close this year, Father, that you would position us and that we would position ourselves behind you in a, in a place of strength and faith. That God, as we trust you to be first in our life, God, that you would bring us breakthrough in the year to come like we've never seen that you would release your blessing on your people. God, your favor and your anointing. And so Holy Spirit, we trust you with all of these things. And we ask that where there are areas that, that we've been struggling to let go of and allow Jesus to be first, that you would gently and in the way that only you can, that you would bring those to mind and that you would challenge us today to not just say you're first, but to do the things we need to do to demonstrate, God, that our heart will not be divided anymore. God, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And we ask that our treasure would be found in you, Jesus. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.